All right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's good to be back. Am I right? Well, you guys might notice another thing is out there on that little table where you can sign up for care groups or to be a greeter, we have all the pursuit stickers. And you might notice as you're walking around town, there's a lot of people with pursuit stickers on. This is sort of, in, this is how I sort of view it. It's a beautiful way to people to say, hey, what in the world is pursuit? And it'll create beautiful conversations with people. And, and I've, seriously, I've had this so many times where I'm just driving down the street and I'll be looking up and one of my kids will say, hey, they go to Pursuit. And then we just drive up beside them and have like a nice wave session. You know what I'm saying? It creates bonds. So grab a sticker. If you're having a hard time putting it on, let me know. I love putting those stickers on. I've even put them on people's cars without them knowing it. Some of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. Sean? He didn't like that I put it on a little bit crooked. You want to help with yours? I'd love to. Claire, yeah? Okay, after church. Deal. All right, we're going to do that. All right, we're going to get right into this. Um, I'm really excited about this new series, and tonight is a really important night because I find that we can sort of approach any sort of new teaching with a bit of a different perspective depending on the characteristic of the body. And what I find is that far too often, sometimes when we look into some of the, the questions that people are asking of God and the church, there's just this posture of feeling superior. The superiority that, that we know the truth and other people don't know the truth. And that puts us in a place of advantage. And, and sometimes I think that there's this tendency to view other people that might just think and live differently as, as other or outside. And I think that that's really dangerous. And so tonight we're just going to get into exactly what we're talking about this fall, and we're going to sort of see the lens and the heart behind what we're doing. Does that sound good to you guys? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to watch a little video. And I really like, this is um, a rapper named Propaganda, and I really like the way that he puts just the perspective of the follower of Jesus. It's really cool. Let's pray. So Father, we, uh, God, we invite you into this place, and God, we, we love God, we love the people of Kelowna. God, we love all of them. And, and Jesus, I pray that you'd, you'd just remove the pride that, that might exist in my heart, God. And God, I pray that you'd remove just this feeling of, of superiority sometimes that we feel, God. God, I believe that there's so many divisions in the world, God, because there's this belief that what we naturally believe and know God is superior to what other people know. And, and Jesus, that causes so many divides. I pray against that in the name of Jesus, God. I pray that we would truly reflect your heart. God, we know that the dominant fruit of the Spirit is love. It's love, Jesus. And God, we know that your, your word sets us free, and there's a way that seems right to us, but it leads to death, and truth is truth. God, help us walk that fine line. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, check this out. It's really cool. See, we're really not so different. We all got issues, some just more easily identified. See this one? This one keeps tally marks. And that one, he done lost count. He the type that loves rubrics. Like, tell me how to do this. Practice makes perfect. And that one, and that one questions everything. He don't do too well with authority. Like, let me learn on my own. Experience is the best teacher. Let me learn by my own hands. And this one, this one is good visibly. But that one, that one failed miserably. This one got it covered. 
That one don't need a covering. And this one got it all figured out. <laughs> but so does that one. And this one knows he's better than that one. His filth fills his nostrils. You stink of lawlessness, selfishness, rebellion, arrogance. But that one knows that this one has been brainwashed. A drone that can't think on his own, so prone to conform. You stink of vain repetition, of selfishness, judgment, arrogance. See, we all got beliefs. This one, this one loves the mirror. Spends hours there perfecting his reflection, knowing full well it's lying to him. He just knows that his religious cosmetics would cover up his blemishes. Feeding the poor, helping the needy. That's God's airbrush, right? But that one, that one hates the mirror. He's embarrassed of his reflection. He just knows that if he blows enough, he'll be too high to notice or even care or question if it matters. Like, why should I believe in a system that feeds a man's ego, right? See, we all got beliefs. We all got issues. They both liars. It's just this one is tired of doing it. And that one thinks he earned it. And that one don't deserve it. But that one agrees. So he believes if I master these 12 steps, perfect this prayer, then I will be okay. And that one agrees that if this one was more like me, we would both be okay. See, we all got beliefs. We both believe in our own means. This one heaps up good deeds. He's involved in social justice. Let me prove it. He has never let a tool click, but he's been so judgmental on souls he's left bruises. As if his filthy rag righteousness makes him any better than that one. Homie, let's say they were both swimming to Hawaii. And this one, this one made it 10 miles. And that one, he made it one. They are both equally dead. See, we all got beliefs. It's just that that one believes if I ask for forgiveness, heap up Hail Marys, I'll be worthy of his mercy. We all got beliefs. Problem is we're both wrong. Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is equally level. I think it's fascinating that Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. That, that he, he claims that he himself is the truth. And that his teaching will bring us life. And that's absolutely true. And this year as we look into all of the biggest questions that people ask God in the church, these are the areas of greatest confusion in our society. These are the areas of the biggest hurt as well. And also the greatest amount of lies. And also the areas where people can actually gain leverage over other people. I think about the bleeding woman and, and she kept going to different people and they all just wanted to take advantage of her. And then she comes to Jesus and he's the one that actually loves her. So what we're talking about this year, it's the very heart of Jesus. And we need the lens of his eyes to see everything so clearly. During the Second World War, there was one man who was considered the most evil besides Hitler. His name was Adolf Eichmann, and this is a stretched out picture of what he looks like. He's credited for killing five million Jews. He was the one who invented the whole concentration camp process. He said that this five million Body count for him was a source of extraordinary satisfaction. This is a tremendously evil man. 
After World War II, he moved to Argentina, and the Israeli government had a plot to bring him down. And so what they did is they sent spies to Argentina, and they watched him for days. Lots of surveillance. They noted his movements. And there was one man in charge of that named Peter Malcolm. And Peter watched him, and as he went to his home every single day, at the end of his day of work, he greeted a young boy and kissed him on the forehead. Every single day, the same thing. He'd, he'd get to his door, a boy would come out, he'd kiss him, and then he'd go into the home. Eventually, they surrounded him, and they put a bag over his head and did the classic kidnapping. They took him out of Argentina, and when he was on a train, they put this man, Adolf Eichmann, in a train car all by himself. Now, Peter Malcolm knew that he was in there, and there was a question that was just burning in his heart. And so, one night, he sneaks into his car, and he's sitting across from this terribly evil man that's killed five million people. And he says this. He says, I've watched you for many days, and I saw you kiss a boy every single evening. Who was that? He said, well, that's my eight-year-old son. And... Peter filled with rage. He said, that's the same age as my nephew who you killed. And then he says, can you tell me the difference between your boy and my nephew? And Eichmann just paused for a long time. He just stared right at Peter. And finally he said, my son is not Jewish. And Peter Malcolm walked out of his train car, and he said that he sobbed uncontrollably. You see, hate grows whenever we consider people as other. That's fertile soil for hate. As soon as people are considered an outsider, but in Christ, nobody is considered on any other team. We're all considered to be equal. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. I love that quote. Listen to Galatians 3.28. Paul is saying a really crazy statement. He's saying there's neither Jew nor Gentile. By the way, huge statement. The Gentiles of the time were, were usually into some pretty sinful things. There was a lot of temple worship. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on. And by him saying that, the people would have been like, oh, how could you say that? No Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Wow. This radically changes how we as the church deal with everything, doesn't it? It changes it all. As you guys may well know, right now there's a lot of debate over sex ed in our schools, and, and it's a heated debate, especially around sexual orientation and gender and, and there's just a lot of, of tension. And I believe that debate is healthy. And I do believe that, that we need to be involved in, in protecting our kids and, and, like, and just being involved in their education. And that's all absolutely wonderful. And, and as there was one particularly heated um, exchange with one of the school district, me and Melissa were just talking about this. And we saw on Facebook that there's many Christians going to go and just... And, and it seemed like, like it was pretty aggressive. And Melissa looked at me and she said, I sure hope they're kind. Those are my kids. And, and I just, that hit the nail on the head for me. Those are my kids. These are our kids. These are our children. And sometimes we view them as other or we view them as a behavior. And the heart of the father and the position as a follower of Christ, is to look at 
everyone around us as, as his kids, as, as our kids, that we need to protect and love. Man, I met this man in France that I told you about. His name was Shifnas, and he came up to us just as we were at a coffee shop, and, and he just goes right into his story. He's like, hey, shakes our hand. My name is Shifnas, and he starts telling us his story. He says, I was a Muslim. He said, I was a violent man. He said, I've done some horrible things. I've identified as a homosexual. And he says, and I've been possessed by demons. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, like this guy is the farthest thing from all of these people sitting right here in this coffee shop. And then he said this, well, one day I met a lady who said she was going to pray for me. And in his bedroom, as he was just by himself, he says that he had a vision of Jesus that changed his entire life, that Jesus himself gave him a vision. And Shifnas said, I cried for a week. I've never felt joy. I've never felt free. And this guy is the most alive follower of Christ you can imagine. He's just sharing his testimony on the street, and then he moves on, and he's just sharing and sharing and sharing. He called up his, his sister, told her all about this. This guy is fired up. And I thought to myself, wow, Jesus went after him because the way that he looked at him was not as all of these titles, but that's my boy, Shifnas. Man, he looks far from me, but that's my kid. Wow. You see, the Bible is a story of God running after sinners. It's from Genesis and it is all the way through Revelation. You read the Old Testament, it is just... Every single prophetic story speaks of this. There's Hosea. Okay, you got to understand who Hosea was. I got a little image of him because Hosea was known as the holy prophet. Like Hosea was considered so holy. This was a man who in every image that we see of him, he's holding some scroll. This is a man who, who oh, this guy knew God and sought truth. More than anybody, they say of Hosea. So it's ironic that God says to Hosea, you know what, I'm going to show people the nature of my love, and so I want you to marry a woman who many of your enemies have had sex with. The men who mock you for being holy, you're going to marry that girl, a prostitute named Gomer. And so he does. This is to show the nature of God's love, that that while we're sinners, that there's one coming that will die for us. And then after they have children and everything seems fine, she runs away and humiliates him. And then God says, you know what to do, Hosea? Run after her. This is so humiliating. So he searches and finally finds her, and she's on the selling block, and she's chained in front of people, and she's naked. She's likely bawling. Men are bidding for her. And Hosea steps up and silences the crowd by offering 15 pieces of silver and five pieces of barley. This is like a million dollars. This is over the top for a woman who publicly shamed him. He goes and over the top blesses and says, you're worth so much to me. Even though you don't deserve it, God runs after people that we label as sinners and he runs after us as sinners. This is God. And this is a foretaste of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. Isn't the prodigal son fascinating? In this parable, he says, you're going to betray me. You're going to run from me. You're going to abuse my grace. And then when you come back to me, 
I'm going to be waiting and run after you. Do you think what people, the Pharisees were like, what are you trying to do here, Jesus? This sounds crazy. Nobody is going to follow you if that's your marching orders. But this is who he is. He runs after sinners. In Luke 7, I love this story. There's this, he goes in this little town called Nain. And Nain is a town in Galilee. It's super Jewish. Like, this place is Jewish like you wouldn't believe. And he shows up and and they're following all these Jewish rules and regulations. And they're not interested in Jesus. And he comes across a dead man. And they're all carrying this dead man on a cot. And there's a huge crowd, and, and, and everyone's just watching this. And Jesus shows up, and then he sees this dead man's mom. This was her only son, and, and she's a widow. Her husband died, and so she's probably, she's going to be homeless now because of this situation. And listen to this. This is Luke 7, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. His heart went out to her this Jewish lady that he has never known. And he goes up to the cot, and he he puts his hand on the man. And he says, I say to you, get up. And the man gets up, and he just starts talking. Hey, in Scripture, it says he just starts talking. He's not, like, bewildered or amazed. He's just, whoa, and he just, like, gets talking. So cool. The Greek word for this, his heart went out, this compassion, the word in Greek that's used here is this word, Splanchizomai. You got that? Write that down. Put that in your phone. This is what splanchizomai means. It means from the womb. <laughs> it's a love that, that means it's a fatherly or a motherly love. This is not a normal love. This is a love the way that we're moved by our son or by our daughter. The other day I was um, just enjoying the kids and I noticed that Melissa was too and I thought to myself, there's no one else in the world that will love our children the way that Melissa will. I know that. I know that it's because it's this splanchizomai. It's this love that is so deep that, that is just like, oh, you're my, you're my child. And this is the love that Jesus has for this Jewish woman who was not a follower, but Jesus loved her as his own daughter, even though she is not pursuing him. You see, this is his posture. Think about Jesus on the cross. They're taunting him. They're spitting on him. And what is his reaction to them? It's splanchizomai. It's forgive them, Father. It's, those are my kids. They're mocking him. You see, no one is an outsider. When Gandhi was a student in England, he was fascinated with Jesus. Gandhi wanted to know Jesus. Did you know this? So Gandhi shows up to a church to find out more, but when he showed up, the ushers refused to seat him. They told him to go worship somewhere else with his own people. Oh. Gandhi never came to know Jesus. And this is absolute heresy. This is the Pharisee spirit. The Pharisees had these things called phylacteries on their foreheads. It was, see, they had the Old Testament, but they wanted their own additional rules, so they had them right up here. So that if there ever was debate, they would just pull it off of their forehead and be like, oh, well, in subsection four, they had rules like you couldn't walk into a Gentile's house, you couldn't touch anyone unclean. If there was someone with leprosy, they'd have a bell on so they could identify them and just stay right away. It was all about them 
and us. It was all about outsiders, and they wouldn't touch anybody. This is who they were. But then Jesus came and did the opposite. He touched lepers. The Pharisees were so chapped. He ate at sinners' house like Zacchaeus. He hung out with prostitutes. They even brought little children to Jesus, and guess what he did? He touched them. That's what the Bible says. They brought kids to him only to, to, so he could touch them. He's saying everything that those guys are about, I'm about the opposite. No one is an outsider. They didn't pre-screen these kids. Oh, hello. Oh, what's your name, Joey? Uh, do, do you follow the Ten Commandments? What's your, yeah, what's your religious affiliation? Are you circumcised? Oh, no, not circum. Sorry. Sorry, Joey. Oh, crap. <laughs> Jesus touched every little kid that came and blessed them all. There were no exclusions in him. I love this. Oh. He doesn't see race, gender, mental illness, talent, reputation. The King James Version says that he's not a respecter of persons. In other words, he's not a respecter of our labels. He just isn't. He sees his kids. Paul in Romans 14 says this. It says to view all people for those that Christ died for. That means view all people as his kids. All of them. Every one of them. They're all his kids. Oh, God has freed us up to enjoy everybody. Isn't that so wonderful? To lavish love upon people without thinking that by doing so we're approving of everything that they believe and everything that they do. We're just supposed to love. That's all we're supposed to do. Listen to Acts 10.42. It says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. This is pretty interesting. Luke is saying, we're told to just preach, and he's the one that judges, not us. He's the one. We don't have to. We don't even have to worry about if they're right or wrong. He is the one that that belongs to. It's not that he minimizes sin. He just clarifies who's the judge and who's not. This allows us to just love extravagantly without having to keep tally marks or figure out who's in and who's out, who's got good enough behavior. Oh, I love this. You see, sometimes I think we believe that by loving people that we're putting our mark of approval on them. We're saying, okay, your behavior's fine. Your sin is fine. Your lifestyle's fine. What a load. They even accuse Jesus of that same thing. Matthew 11 says this. They say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They're like, well, you know what, Jesus? If you hang out with them, then you must be the same. He was more concerned about the hurting and the vulnerable than keeping up appearances, wasn't he? In the parable of the sheep and the goats, he says this. He says, I was in prison and you visited me. See, in the Jewish tradition, to visit somebody means that you receive them as a part of your community. Visiting meant, I accept you. You consider them a friend. And Jesus is saying that you need to go and visit people in prison. These are people that a judge has said they are wrong and they are lawbreakers. And they deserve to be in jail. Jesus says, go accept them. Oh, wow. And we're to imitate Christ in this and not condemn anybody, but love all. I love this. Don't you guys love this? 
This is the most freeing truth. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, Christians are told not to judge. We only see the results which a man's choices make out of his circumstances. C.S. Lewis is saying, we don't understand their circumstance, where they came from. But God does not judge him on his circumstances at all, but on what he has done with his life. Is C.S. Lewis here saying that God judges us on a sliding scale? Yes, absolutely, 100%. To Peter, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is expected. In the parable of the talents, he says they each receive different amounts of gold or currency. And they're only accountable for what they've been given. And Jesus alone is in a place to truly know his kids and what they have been given. And so we're going to move forward like Jesus this year with this splenchismai, speaking truth and love. These are our kids, and this is who we get to be. Next week, we're going to be talking about sexual orientation and, and gender identification. And, and we're going to do it. Obviously, Scripture is going to be our guide. Peer-reviewed research is going to be a guide as well. But Splanchismai is going to come into this, the very heart of God, that these are our kids. He's come to set them free and love them. They're not on the outside. People that live differently are not other they're us. And then we're going to move on to marijuana legalization. And we're going to approach that in the same way. Then on to the Bible and its authenticity and can we trust it. We're going to move on to science and God. Sometimes we view, sometimes we'll hear things on CBC radio or we'll hear about evolution and we'll think they're so deceived. Or we'll feel like they're from a different camp. We're going to talk about suffering and if God is all powerful and loving, why is there suffering? And how can Jesus be the only truth in a world of religions? We're going to talk about this historical glass ceiling for women and their place in leadership. And in all this and in everything that we cover, we're going to come with this lens of just incredible love from the Father. See, Paul says to preach the truth but in love. And it's the love that demonstrates this maturity that we're part of the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. That's what he says. And so we're going to go for it. And we're going to have this beautiful heart for our Father. And next week is going to be, um, if you could be in prayer for that, I think it's very important. There was a picture that circulated on social media, and I think people had two different responses to this picture. I'm going to show it to you now. If you have problems with, like, scars or anything like that, maybe just, just like, you don't have to look. But this was the picture that was circulated. This is um, a young guy named Oliver. And lots of people had very differing thoughts on what they were looking at. You see, this was a guy who grew up as a girl and had the breasts removed and, and was basically saying to everyone on Facebook, can you please accept me? This is what I have chosen and how do we approach this? Some people were like, I know. I know who that is. And Splanchismai was so natural. I love you. I want to help you. And other people were just like, they saw the choice and immediately was like, that's so dumb. But I love this person very, very, very much. 
And she came onto the ark with us for many years. And this is, um, I think, ark 2002. That's her right beside me there on the right. And then you got the next one there. Oh, I love this one. There's Sean. <laughs> and then you got the next one there. There's Jill in there. Jill was her counselor. You see, we all feel like she's our kid. And, and, and when, I, when I talk to her, I, I just have incredible love and empathy because I actually have the heart of the Father. And we need to have this same heart for, for everyone in this room. We need to have this same heart when we see a Muslim person or an atheist or anyone that we consider sexually immoral or the super rich or the gang member or the youth pastor who deals with pride or whoever it might be that we maybe view as other, we need to start with this place of just incredible love from the Father and say, I'm for you first off. Because even when we love the guilty, we love Jesus. This is what he says. Even if someone is guilty, he says, you know what, by loving them, you're loving me. By actually loving them, you're doing that for me. And here's the reality. In this prophetic marriage of Hosea to Gomer, sometimes we feel like we're Hosea, and we're not. We're Gomer. We're the one who God is chasing. We're the one who doesn't deserve his love, and he he just heaps grace upon us. In the prodigal son, we are the prodigal son. We're the one who turned and he ran after us. See, he's a God that chases us and loves us and calls us his own. And this is why we take communion. The Christian life is marked by daily repenting of our sin, like the prodigal son, and running back to the father. And we know that his heart for us is going to be that splenchismai, like that lady who he saw. He had so much compassion. His heart went out, and then he healed what was broken. And when we come to him, that's the response. And so what we have right now is we have communion. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. And and this is a turning. It's saying, you know what? Your love for me is unconditional. Sometimes we feel like we're unworthy or, or, or we think of ourselves, oh, you know what? We recognize that sometimes we have a hard heart toward people or groups. And then we feel like there must be something wrong with me. And there's not. And we get to come in this place, and, and we, get to, we get to come to the Father, and he runs after us, and his presence heals us. Amen? It's so beautiful. And so this year is going to be absolutely wonderful. I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship. And I'm just going to invite you guys to come forward and take communion. And this is, this is that turning that we get to do. God does not count our sins against us. His love for us is extravagant and it's undeserved and it's absolutely beautiful. He calls us his children. Praise Jesus. So why don't you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that this Pharisee spirit, God, God, a spirit that that views people as different or other, God, that you would remove that in us, Lord. God, I pray that we'd see people and we would just see them with the beautiful eyes of compassion. 
God, you've, you've freed us to just love. You've freed us to not have to worry about what's right and wrong. You've just allowed us to just love just with reckless abandon, God. Father, I pray that as we speak truth this year, that love would be the most dominant aroma, God, from this place. God, that when people see us in school or at work or in our homes, God, that they would just see this heart that's for them, God, no matter who they are. And God, thank you that you come running after us, God. God, that you just love us with a just incredible love. God, right now, as we just turn to you again tonight, God. God, I pray that your spirit would just deliver us from any bondage, God, that we have. God, you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Oh. Jesus, you, you tell us that you're the good shepherd. And God, that following you, sometimes, sometimes it feels like we know better. God, sometimes we feel like you're leading us in the wrong direction, God. And, and God, sometimes we resist you. But God, what you have for us is streams of living water and green pastures. You restore us. So, Father, we just pray that your spirit would just call us closer to you, God. I pray that for each one of us that this year would mark a closeness with your spirit that we've never experienced before, God. God, that there'd be a brand new intimacy in this room with you, Lord. God, that if any of us feel condemned or unworthy, God, you say that your spirit comes to free us, not to condemn us. And so, God... I just pray that those lies would just be broken right now. That you'd renew our minds, God. Renew us. God, give us your eyes. God, give us your heart. We love you, Father.